0: Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent.
1: Broadcasted
0: live.
2: Hey, Hey. who wants to have some fun? There are balls coming from all over the place. Left field, center field, right field. See, this, this is the kind of thing, quite honestly, right now, that makes you want to see the Chicago Cubs
3: team lose. Now, are you just saying you want to have fun or do you really want to have fun? It'll be fun. Will the next person that sees anybody throw
0: anything onto this field, point them out, and get them out of here? You don't live in Cleveland! Get in
3: You talking to me? You talking to me?
4: That is the farthest thing in the universe from the truth.
5: Hello everyone live, it's the Dan Scott Show. And right there is your host, Dan Scott.
6: Hi again everybody and welcome to episode 7 of the newly rebranded Dan Scott Show podcast. I am Dan, very happy to have you along for the ride with us on this edition of of the podcast, and uh, you know, I always say, hey, we've got a good one for you today. I really believe we've got a good one for you today. I believe that all the time. Today, though, I think we really have uh, gone above and beyond to hit the mark. Uh, We have Charlie Cobb, who is a member of the College Football Playoff Selection Committee, who will be with us for the first half of the podcast. He's going to talk to us about how we got to the four teams – that will be playing for the national championship, including the first group of five team to ever make the college football playoff. The University of Cincinnati is the number four seed. And then in the second half of the podcast, Dave Glenn, who has covered the ACC for over 30 years, will join us. Clemson is uh, on the verge uh, of having its athletic department have several openings. Brent Venables, as you probably know, already gone to Oklahoma as their head coach. Tony Elliott, the offensive coordinator, could be leaving for one of multiple jobs as a head coach in the ACC. And oh, by the way, Dan Radakovich may be on his way to Miami to be the Hurricanes' new athletic director. And speaking of Miami, they have a football coach, but they're making a big run for another football coach. It's a crazy week in the Atlantic Coast Conference, and Dave Glenn will be here to break it all down for us. And. That doesn't even mention the fact that Bronco Mendenhall has resigned from the University of Virginia. So multiple job openings, all kinds of madness going on in the league, and we'll talk about it all with Dave Glenn in the second half of the podcast. Tom Van Hoy will be joining me throughout the course of the podcast today, so we hope that you'll enjoy it. I need to remind you that the Dan Scott Show podcast is presented by our friends at Todaro Pizza. They're on Markley Street, in downtown Greenville, the West End, just down the street from Floorfield, where the Greenville Drive minor league baseball team plays. Bucket list pizza, folks. I keep saying that, but it's that good. If you're not from the upstate and you're coming into the Greenville, South Carolina area, you need to put it on your list of restaurants to check out while you're here. If you are from the upstate, then you know, I hope, about the, the great food that Todaro Pizza puts out on a regular basis. So at the Clemson location on Sloan street as well. And now at the location in Greenville, you can find them online, uh, find, uh, the Greenville location on Facebook, Todaro pizza, Greenville, same thing on Twitter, John and the folks do a fantastic job there. Thank them for continuing to support this podcast. And, uh, hopefully we'll see you out there in the not too distant future. All right. We will take a break and come back. And when we do, We'll get things rolling on this uh, episode seven of the Dan Scott Show podcast. It'll be Tom Van Hoy joining me. And up first, Georgia State Athletic Director and College Football Playoff Committee member, Charlie Cobb. That's next. Stay with us.
3: Every sports fan's goal should be make it to the Hall of Fame. Well, we have you covered with Hall of Fame Sports Grill at 531 Wade Hampton Boulevard in Greenville. Known for their great food and fantastic daily specials, Hall of Fame has you covered with all the game action on their 30 televisions. Plus, weekly events like Tuesday night's Bar Trivia for Dummies, Wednesday night's Music Bingo, Thursday night's Dirty Bingo, and Karaoke with Fred Rock every Friday. That's 531 Wade Hampton Boulevard, Hall of Fame Sports Grill.com. Treat yourself to one of the fastest growing, most entertaining activities in the upstate with a visit to Kraft Axe Throwing. From casual axe throwing to the World Axe Throwing League, Kraft has it all right here in Greenville. Get in-house safety instruction, then claim a lane and start throwing today. League nights available for those who love to compete. Kraft Axe Throwing, 1320 Hampton Boulevard in Greenville. Call 864-301-6032 or visit KraftAxeThrowing.com.
4: Sometimes cleaning up the neighborhood begins at home. When it does, call on Shane's Powerhouse Washing. Shane's is a family-owned business which prides itself on being on time and doing the job right the first time. Residential or commercial, home, business, driveway, parking lot, decks, fences, even dumpster pads. If it needs cleaning, Shane's Powerhouse Washing will get it done. Also, ask about the handyman services available. Call today, 864-760-9184 or check out the website, www.Shane'sPowerHouseWashing.com.
2: When it's time for a new mortgage or refinance, finding someone with a proven track record of both success and customer service can be an issue. Scott Fowler of Guaranteed Rate is the solution to both problems. Scott has helped thousands of clients achieve their home ownership dreams for over two decades and has been recognized as a top 1% originator in the U.S. by both Mortgage Executive Magazine and Scottsman Guide. And about that customer service, 96% of Scott's customers say they would use him again. Take advantage of the incredibly low finance rates while you can. Let Scott and his team guide you through the process start to finish. Call today, 864-915-8779. Again, that's 864-915-8779. Or find out much more online at www.rate.com slash Scott Fowler.
7: Scott Fowler and Guaranteed Rate. Hey friends, Booty Catherine here, native of Greenville an eight-time competitor on NBC's American Ninja Warrior, and I want to tell you about Motive School of Movement, our new ninja and parkour gym right here in Greenville, where we are teaching movement and functional fitness to people ages five and up and of every ability and skill level, and they're loving it. We've got families that work out together, kids that leave the gym sweating and tired who can't wait to come back. We've even got a 62-year-old member taking adult parkour classes. And if you've got a child who would enjoy a Ninja Warrior-themed birthday, Party, we're your place. Together with Brett and Grace Sims and Bob Reese, we've created Motive School of Movement in an incredible facility located just behind Haywood Mall on Webb Road. Stop by and see us in person or take a virtual tour at motivemovement.org. That's motivemovement.org or just search Motive School of Movement or call us at 864-775-4844. That's 864-775-4844.
6: Welcome back. We are just getting things cranked up here. I I have been intentionally keeping the radio show and the podcast separated, but uh, today we're doing a combo simply because there's just too much information to try to get in, uh, and I I thought both uh, separate audiences would uh, would enjoy what we're going to do, at least I hope so. No pressure on our guests that we have today. But uh, this is uh, the Dan Scott Show on WZLA in Abbeville, and also Episode 7 of the Dan Scott Show podcast. Tom Van Hoy is here, as per usual. Tom, how are you, sir?
1: Good. Always good, Dan.
6: Well, that's good. Uh, always nice to have some consistency in our lives. And, <laughs> as and long then, as I
1: got through the car line today. Right. I'm all right. You know? Right. Right.
6: <laughs> exactly. And then uh, the the man who I introduced uh, a little while ago, or when he when he popped onto the Zoom call as the good looking Cobb brother, um, David Cobb, of course, is our uh, color uh, commentator on the football broadcast at Furman. His brother Charlie is the uh, athletic director at Georgia State University and also a member of the College Football Playoff Selection Committee. And, and Charlie, welcome back! But uh, the good-looking Cobb brother, again, as I told you, is like calling Mo the smart stooge, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Among other things, that probably meant for a family audience, right? Yeah. So.
6: <laughs> well, listen, man, it, it, it's good to see you. N- not much uh, sleep in, in the last uh, last uh, twenty-four to thirty-six hours for you, huh?
0: I was uh, absolutely a great experience um, in Dallas doing the selections. Uh, we we went till about two thirty. Uh, Central time on uh, Saturday night, making sure that we had uh, what we thought was right, you know, the pairings right, and uh, and we went back at it yesterday morning, uh, pretty hard to uh, to get the announcement done by noon. So uh, a lot of fun, um, a lot of coffee, and uh, but uh, just great discussion about college football.
6: Right, well, let, let's let's get the the most burning stuff out of the way first, and, and then we can go down some other roads, but from a committee standpoint, was there a sense of relief to a certain degree in the room that circumstances worked out where there wasn't perhaps a great debate about whether Cincinnati should be in at number four, because at least in the, in the national media and you know how that works, you, you saw all that stuff all the way up until what happened this Saturday, there was still that thought that this committee is going to find a way to leave Cincinnati out. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Yeah, I, I've uh, you know I guess maybe I haven't done this for a year or two. Um, the, the the external noise sometimes around decision making um, can be fascinating, and uh, certainly didn't did not mirror the the conversation that was in the room uh, throughout the process. We were we were charged with finding the four best teams, and and that's what we looked at um, in our meetings. And so um, teams played their way in, teams played their way out. Our job was to make sure that that what we saw and the data that we had uh, next to it to support it, um, you know, answers the questions. But uh, um, I think for us, we were sitting in the room and, and uh, Friday night just amazed at, at how well Utah played again against Oregon, um, you know, which can at least give some people concern about about how uh, how Oregon played and, and their preparation. But then, you know, you walk in a Saturday morning and, and uh, Oklahoma State, uh, Baylor, Tremendous game, tremendous ending, and we're thinking, okay, we're going to have a chaotic day that, uh, that frankly, did not materialize. So uh, we were prepared for a number of scenarios, and uh, and that's, Kenley, that's why the conversation went until, until the wee hours of the morning just to make
1: sure that that we had uh, great communication around decisions. Tom, for for as, as much as you debate and the conversations that you have. To the uninitiated, to a certain extent, including me, how much information is available to you? How much does analytics go into it? And then you talked about uh, how Utah looked and and the eye tests and so forth. You got to bring that all together. How difficult is that?
0: Yeah, the the, the committee, the playoff process really starts in the summer, and uh, a lot of that has to do with preparation. Uh, we're all given access to a computer with a, um, <laughs> a web based feature that allows us to watch every wow. FBS football game in the country at any point, any time. Um, with all the traveling that we're doing, you know, it's a, it's, as I've learned, it's an hour and 49 minutes flying from Atlanta to Dallas. It's an hour and 42 coming back. Um, you can download games. And so I could consi- consistently watch three to four games on the way out and three to four, way- four games on the way back. You can w- watch parts of games. So uh, each of us are assigned two conferences um, to monitor. Uh, I had uh, the independence was, was quote, unquote, the conference that I was the lead for, but I was also a support person for Conference USA. So uh, in addition to watching what we consider to be the top 10, 15 teams on a weekly basis, uh, we we were charged with watching games. Um, I probably, conservatively, probably watched between 30 and and 40 games a weekend um, or during, say, a four or five-day period of time. um, Having access to the tape, Uh, we could watch a game in about 40 minutes. So think about that when you guys broadcast, um, you know, three-and-a-half, four-hour production that that can be kind of squeezed down to 35, 40 minutes to watch a game. But you got a sense of of how teams played. Um, And then the conversations every Monday and Tuesday um, allowed us to to debate. And then what we had at our disposal was a a whole analytics package that uh, allowed us to compare – teams based on schedule, um, based based on the head to head results, based on common opponents, based on um, every conceivable um, statistic you could find about a football team. Um, there's some proprietary information that uh, the, the CFP has developed with its partner, but uh, we we can monitor strength of schedule. Uh, we could monitor um, a whole litany of, of of statistics based on how teams played their opponents, but then also how their opponents played. So you could really get a mesh. Um, And then you say, what do you mean by that? Well, to answer the question. I mean, up until Saturday, uh, Georgia defensively led pretty much every defensive category. Um, And so not only was it how teams played when they played Georgia, but then it's also how well teams played when they didn't play Georgia. And so the scale was, was just fascinating. So I think if there was there was one surprise from saturday for all of us it was maybe not that alabama won but that the game wasn't even as close as you know as, as a 14 point uh, score indicates
6: first thing that comes to mind is uh for those of us who rely on advertising for our um for our livelihood to a certain degree uh we we are going to edit out the comment about narrowing those games down to only 35 or 40 minutes we, we just can't have that as part of our conversation here <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> but uh you know in all seriousness you, you talked about the ana- related relate understanding you, you know you know as an athletic director you got to get those those ads uh, around the stadium and everything where they're supposed to go um you, you mentioned analytics charlie and uh, that that is becoming a big word throughout the world of sports, I think it started to come into prominence first in baseball, but now seemingly every sport is looking at it in varying and sundry ways. My, my question to you, especially as a football guy, a guy who played college football in, in the Atlantic Coast Conference at North Carolina State, you, you know this sport inside and out. How much did you rely on analytics? How much did you rely on what you saw, the, the quote-unquote eye test?
0: Yeah, you know – it's a fascinating discussion because I think analytics is, is becoming a large term um, and we need more staff. We need more information. Um, I think sometimes there's a paralysis by analysis. Um, and certainly when you're playing, when you're play calling, when you're in the, the moment, when you're a time constraint, um, I think I'm learning. I think what's considered to be analytics is really just still you know, intuition. Um, and what I mean by that, preparation is key. Absolutely, all the data you can have. But um, a lot of times what we were looking at is, okay, well, using the reference that I just made, George's defense was so 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 valid. Well, that's all based on results. And at some point, somebody's still got to make a play call. Somebody's got to still call a defense. And then, oh, by the way, most importantly, kids have to make plays. And, uh, and so the human element is still greatly involved in the decision-making or, or should be involved. I think people that, Want to go off a play chart I, I get the idea of okay if we're in a game and we got to go go for two and here's the score sheet or whatever that that's a pretty simple simple data collection you know analytical decision if you will but you know to have um every decision monitored by uh you know should we go on a fourth down here or not based on a play sheet that's been done you know weeks in advance i think it's still um, a little bit difficult i think coaches there's a reason why the pros take the points. As the old adage says, uh, they're just trying to trying to keep field goals to to put points on the board. But at the end of the day, uh, teams that score touchdowns win, and then we all know that. So, uh, uh, but for us, the eye test was important. Um, the results were important. The data collection was important. Um, and there's there's an analytical piece. I. If I was proud of one thing that, that you know, I really haven't shared with anybody, it's, it's part of the process each week for us was to identify our top thirty. So we had to go and rank teams one to thirty, and then we would submit them into the pool um, for for consideration during the you know twelve fourteen hour debate that we had. Um, I think all week um, I had all thirty teams right. I may not have had the order correct, um, but I had but I had all thirty teams correct, and so um, I, I I think that's. That's the part of this puzzle that validates um, some kind of mirror of that the eye test, the results, and then data
1: and that says, "Hey, this team, this team is better than that team." Charlie, what are those debates like? Because the committee members made up from different parts of the country, and probably you know you you have certain uh, things that you, you you're more familiar with. What are they like when you get in there? Are they are they heated? Or are they like just you discuss things in general? Yeah, I, th- I think their uh, their uh, intense would be a
0: conversation at times, um, but not, certainly not heated. I think there's an amazing amount of collegiality involved in matters, and uh, and honestly, I think if Gary Bardo, who was the chair of the committee, um, I think one of the most outstanding things he did, and I learned from him, was that he was he was very conscious of groupthink. Um, if someone hadn't said made a statement for a while, he would intentionally pull them out and say, "Okay, we'll tell us." Tell, hey Charlie, what do, you, what do you think about this? Um, what do you think about this team? What do you think about this matchup? What do you think about this ranking? Um, but really, relying on the on the on the staff or the members who had those various conferences as their uh, their uh, their uh, primary contacts to to talk about it because the conferences work through us um, on a weekly basis to to tell the story about their leagues um, to the to the committee. And so we had a lot of a lot of information at, at our disposal. Um, you know. Again, kind of anecdotally. A lot of conversation last week about OK, what what would we do with Notre Dame? With Brian Kelly leaving and, and unequivocally everyone in the committee was like, you know it, it, I guess it was frustrating. One that the narrative of well, they're going to really you know screw these kids again because of, of the decision making and recognize that. that seven out of 13 in the 7 of the 13 in the group were athletic directors and we wouldn't want our kids to be to be heard in this if we were expressing that same same narrative. Um, you know, so it's it's you know what's the right thing to do. But in the moment, when we're looking at this team, um, where do they fit into the the overall ranking, and, and how do they how they go? So um, there was no hesitation that if if things fell in a certain formula, that Notre Dame could have been part of the, the final four. Um, you know, so those are the kind of decisions and, and thought conversation, and, and there are certain people have different different conversations, but more times than not. Um, the group conversation, the information presented, uh, people would say, Hey, you know, I came into this conversation thinking one thing and based on what we just talked about, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to change and, and, uh, and go this direction. So, um, just, just can kind be of a healthy debate.
6: Charlie Cobb from uh, Georgia state, the athletic director and member of the college football playoff selection committee, joining us here on the Dan Scott show and Dan Scott show podcast, episode seven, the, um, the, the conversation yesterday uh, among the talking heads on television turned from, okay, now that we know Cincinnati is in, should Cincinnati be three and Georgia four or vice versa? As it turned out, Georgia was three, Cincinnati was four. What was that conversation like? What, was there a split among the group? Was it pretty much a consensus that it came out the way it did? How, how did that conversation look or sound like? Yeah,
0: we- when, uh, when we do our individual votes, um, whether to put a team into the pool or uh, to whether we uh, rank teams or whatever, they're all, they're all done anonymously. Um, so we don't know the, the individual votes. Um, we know that if a vote is close or if a vote isn't close, um, you know, where there's some seven to six votes in, in ranking teams, absolutely. Where there's some 13-0 votes, ranking teams, absolutely as well. Um, or any combination in between but uh the as far as the, the the top four teams and the ranking of the top four teams um i i was we were informed that they they weren't even close and uh so we uh create consensus is what i mean um with with one two three and four and 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 also i think one of the narratives that you know well, they voted the way they did to keep georgia and alabama playing in the finals and and i think inherently You knew that as you were putting rankings together. um, That was a possibility, but at the end of the day, it was not part of any decision-making that was made. It was who's one, who deserves to be two, who deserves to be three, who deserves to be four. Frankly, who's earned the the right to be number five, even though it's a a different level of of reward, if you will. Um, You know, it's still a New Year's Six Day Bowls, at least in my childhood, a pretty, pretty big honor.
6: So just just clarify something because you you kind of broke up uh, with us a little bit there. If I heard you correctly, you said that <clears throat> there was no discussion or intent by the committee to intentionally separate Alabama and Georgia so they would not meet in, in the semifinals or or the first round. It's just the vote fell the way it fell. Correct?
0: The vote fell the way it fell. What a great way to put it,
1: Dan. And uh, you know, and so and it, it is what it is. Tom? You know, Charlie, you're talking about it, the exterior noise. Everybody has an opinion. Uh, was it difficult for you to, did you block it out? Did you pay any attention to it? What was your approach to that?
0: Yeah, I think the, the best piece of advice they gave us when, when, I, when I started on the committee was if you can do one thing, um, <clears throat> don't listen to the, the talking heads, but also um, don't pay attention to external polls. The only poll that really matters for us would be the, the CFP poll, and so intentionally do the fall um I couldn't tell you how the AP rankings go I usually look at them or glance at them um but I don't know the AP rankings um maybe a little bit naive in that regard or or whatever but uh uh, I really you know I honed in on what we were doing I honed on some of the analytical stuff that we had access to um but uh um, and then as far as you know listening to uh pundits talk about college football or college game day an example um I got other things to do on Saturday than spend three hours watching TV and talk about <laughs> games that are being played. So, um, I, 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 I'm, I, you know, I hate, I hate that I miss it as a college football fan, but it, you know, it, it doesn't, doesn't really fact, doesn't change anything I'm doing on a normal Saturday anyway.
6: I guess the big question for, for those of us who, who know both of you is were you able to ignore David and, and his opinions?
0: Uh, as you can imagine, he had some strong opinions. Um, <laughs> and more importantly, more importantly, you know, it, it, the one thing you know they teach you about law school is it, it, it teaches you how to think, but it also teaches you how to argue in a in an incredibly effective manner. Canley um, is good at what he does, but he uh, he would make opinions in, in the form of questions,
6: and uh, so that's <laughs> yes. just as yeah, it. Yes, yes.
0: <clears throat> I thought, counselor, we just talked about that twenty minutes ago, you know, but I could be wrong. So,
6: yeah, he's try trying.
0: Clar- let me clarify.
6: Trying to trip you up. <clears throat> what did you What did you learn? Uh, through this whole process,
0: uh, what did I learn? Great question. Um, there are there are a tremendous amount of, of very passionate people about college football. Uh, the biases among among fan bases and, and the internet world uh, is is strong and accurate. Um, the first week that we voted, when Cincinnati was not part of our our top four, uh, uh, I had some new friends in the, in the in the southern part of the state of Ohio. All of us did yesterday there were some fairly angry BYU fans that missed out on a on a New Year's Day Bowl <clears throat> but but honestly they you know don't understand the process because for BYU to, to make it to New Year's Day Bowl they would have actually had to have been in the top ten to been ahead of Michigan State uh, because Utah and, and uh and Pittsburgh were right ahead of them but they were conference champions which they're automatically slotted you know into the bowl game so a little bit of, of uh, of lack of knowledge with the, with the process. But uh, um, what, what I'm appreciative of the 13 people in that room, plus the, the, the CFP staff put a tremendous amount of work into making sure that the college football and the championship around college football is, is done in a very ethical manner. And I'm just really incredibly proud to, to have been a part of that process.
6: Well, I can't think. it. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Tom.
1: I was just going to say, Charlie, the, you've discussed everything traveling, how much time you put in it's got to be a, a nightmare from a moldy tasking purpose. How do you do your regular job as well? How much time do you really put into this, and how difficult is it to do,
0: <laughs> to do both? Yeah, you know, it, it's uh, Sundays during the fall. Typically, uh, Sundays are—I always say—are quote unquote my day. Um, Lindsay, my wife, is a is a solid is a soccer coach, and so there have been times where she's playing on Sunday. So I, I go watch watch her teams play, but I, I get a chance to watch a lot of games. I'm not an NFL guy, so. Sundays I could do a lot of preparation, and then uh, I would travel Monday morning. I would go out Sunday night, just really the convenience of Atlanta. But it meant Monday started at four thirty in the morning, and uh, by the time I got to Dallas, I could I could have some conversations with our staff here, uh, and then we started about eleven a.m. and we went till you know midnight, two o'clock sometimes. Um, got up Tuesday morning, we were usually done by eleven thirty or twelve. Uh, had a little bit of time before I went to the airport, but I say all that. Um, Wednesday, Thursdays, and Fridays got to be somewhat hectic days. You're trying to cram five days of work versus, you know, into three. And if we were traveling on Friday for a football game, certainly that expedited it. Um, But I I got a great staff here. Uh, We've all been together for, you know, eight years, and and we kind of all read read each other's mind. And, and, uh, you know, honestly, we had a a football season that, that didn't start as uh, effectively as we wanted to, but then we finished with six six wins out of seven to finish it up to, to earn the bowl win. And so, when you win football games on Saturday, um, the adrenaline allows you to, to do some other things. But uh, um, just just fortunate that that uh, I knew it was going to be a heck of a commitment. Um, I guess being an NBDN extra a little bit helps us as well. Um, didn't have kids' schedules to kind of have to navigate around, and and, and uh, you go from there. But uh, um, you know, I given the opportunity to do it again I would do it again it's a it's a it's an incredible experience
6: well I guess that begs the question will you be invited back next year or does that committee change from year to year
0: yeah it it changes Um, my term was one year I was I was kind of a fill-in to help kind of bridge a gap between um, cycles for for the way the leagues have a have assignments done and so uh, um, kind of there's been a history that, that uh, some people have committed to do it, and then for one reason or another, um, as a process, stars aren't able to do it, so they pull from the roster of folks who, who've, who've preceded them. So um, <clears throat> I am in that roster, and, and, and we gladly gladly do it again.
6: Well, listen, uh, as I started to say a moment ago, I can't thank you enough for coming on with us twice now, once before the process started and, and now – uh, after it's done and, and both times being as transparent as you can possibly be about how the process worked. I hope people are paying attention and got a little bit of, of an education on this thing, because what you see on, on television on game day and, and from the other folks is, uh, quite honestly, diametrically opposed to what actually happens inside the room. Right.
0: And I think part of it too, frankly, is, you know, as you, as you guys are well aware, uh um, People need something to talk about people need something to discuss and it may not be exactly what they really believe but there's a producer in their ear saying hey this would be great fodder you know for this for this conversation or for this post or this tweet or you know this fan base in particular and so uh, you know we recognize that as part of as part of the beauty of college football it's honestly I think it's why the the, the selection process starts as early as it does it's hey let's put a ranking out there let's get people something that you want and, uh, and start the conversation. But it, it's certainly great for, for the whole enterprise It is college football.
6: Good stuff, Charlie. Thank you so much again, man. We really appreciate it.
0: Oh, Anytime, Dan. Thanks, All man. Thank you. All right,
6: that is uh, Charlie Cobb. Stay tuned. We'll be back with Dave Glenn and talk about the madness that's going on in the Atlantic Coast Conference in just a moment.
3: Sometimes in life, you simply need to treat yourself to the best. And every time you lift a refreshing soda from Hank's Beverages to your lips, you're simply already a winner. It doesn't matter if it's a root beer, orange cream, vanilla cream, black cherry, or grape soda. There's a reason Hank's Beverages has been known as Philly's Best for well more than a decade. Find Hank's online at hanksbeverages.net or you can find their product here in the upstate at Ingalls Supermarkets, Lowe's Grocery Stores, and Harris Teeter.
6: You might know that State Farm agent Ed Patterson has great service. He's your good neighbor, after all. But did you know State Farm has surprisingly great rates, too? Yep, that's right. Along with good neighbor service, State Farm agent Ed Patterson has surprisingly great rates for everyone in Greenville. So call State Farm agent Ed Patterson at 864-322-0031 for your surprisingly great rates today. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Individual premiums will vary by customer. All applicants subject to State Farm underwriting requirements. Is your roof leaking or damaged Do your gutters need repaired? You can google roofing companies until your computer overheats or you can simply call the best Bracken Roofing & Gutter. Whether it's roof replacement, new and remodel installation, roofing insurance claims, whatever your needs, Bracken Roofing & Gutter will simply do it right the first time. And the same goes for gutter screen installations forget about balancing on ladders and cleaning your gutters let bracken roofing and gutters screen them for you today listen do not settle for subpar work get a free inspection today check out the reviews on facebook you'll see many satisfied customers and they're all saying the same thing that they're happy that they chose bracken roofing and gutter that's Bracken Roofing and Gutter. Call Kyle today at 864-704-5993. Continuing on on uh, the Dan Scott Show and Episode 7 of the podcast. As I said earlier, we've been intentionally keeping the episodes separated the radio show one thing and the podcast something something totally different but so much good stuff uh from over the weekend uh, that we thought we'd just do it all and uh, see if we can uh, I don't know if double the audience is the right way to think about it but I guess we add one more that'd be two so it'd be doubled um anyway we're going on to uh, our next guest as we continue Dave Glenn has been covering the ACC for 30-some-odd years now. The uh, founder of the uh, ACC Sports Journal, former talk show host, current professor, lawyer, all of those good things, and a guy who's, uh, like the rest of us here, a little bit busy this time of year. DG, how are you, man?
5: I'm doing great, man. Good to be with you and Tom again.
6: Uh, Good to be with you. Congratulations um, on your delayed Sportscaster of the Year award that you're going to be accepting here in the not-too-distant future.
5: Thank you, Dan. I'll tell you what's cool. I mean, it's funny, obviously, that I'm not even hosting a show right now. (laughs) But I'm picking up an award, and they also asked me to host the national seminar on sports radio. Um, So there's just an irony in that to me. But conveniently, the National Sports Media Association – where winners from all 50 states will be descending and and there's a lot of national awards too so there are some some of the biggest people in sports media are there every single year it is based right here in North Carolina so in the other 49 states people have to travel to pick up these awards I just got to run over to Winston-Salem you know do a little dance and head back to Raleigh that's no big deal.
6: Well, good stuff. Well, well well-deserved. I was was glad to hear that that you're finally going to get. It's been delayed because of COVID two or three different times, right? Right.
5: Right. Yeah. It's, uh, they've moved this date. I'm not even sure how many times, but uh, I learned of this award almost two years ago. So it would have been, (laughs) I'm trying to do the math in my head. I think December, yeah, December of 2019, would be when they tell the winners for the 2019 calendar year. So, yeah, that's basically two years ago here. So here we are, finally get my hands on the hardware in about a week.
6: Well, let's uh, let's get into some stuff here because I know your time is, is limited today. Um, just chaos right now to a certain degree in the Atlantic Coast Conference, and a lot of it is centering – around what's going on at Clemson. Brent Venables has left as defensive coordinator. That's official to go be the head coach at Oklahoma. It's possible Tony Elliott is leaving to take uh, one of maybe two jobs, Duke and Virginia, if you can believe the reports. And Dan Radakovich, the athletic director, may be on his way to Miami. In fact, by the time this airs, that could be a a done deal. Uh, and, And that doesn't even get into, which we'll also talk about, the fact that Miami, which currently has a football coach, is making a play for another football coach without an athletic director. I mean, it's just dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria, right? Yeah, they do call this silly season. And I think it is living
5: up to that label for sure. We've had a lot of coaching turnover in this conference. Uh, and of course that applies nationally as well, but some of these things are truly crazy. And just as, For example, a Dave Clawson at Wake Forest had a truly personal decision to make. He was asked if he was interested in the Virginia Tech job, for example, among others. His answer was no, and he signed an extension to stay at Wake Forest when given his success now at multiple schools, he could have climbed the ladder, so to speak. It sounds to me as if there are a lot of other personal decisions going on as well. Some people might ask, why would Dan Radakovich leave a good AD job at Clemson for a somewhat chaotic job lately at the University of Miami, where you know how that dynamic is. They're five-time national champions in football, but they have this awkward stadium situation where it's, they play off campus and their facilities have uh, kind of fallen behind many of the other traditional powerhouses and they're churning through football coaches and they just lost their athletic director. And now they basically are trying to hire Mario Cristobal from Oregon while Manny Diaz is still their head coach. I mean, that's, that's chaotic, but in terms of personal decisions, maybe Dan Radakovich wants that challenge. In other words, he has the elite football coach with upgraded facilities and multiple national titles in football. He has a rock solid basketball coach in Brad Brownell. He has success in other sports. Maybe he wants a challenge rather than sustaining a place that is not really broken, uh, of uplifting a place that is clearly broken at the University of Miami. Of course, maybe they're throwing a whole bunch of money at him too. Uh, Everybody likes to raise their income. Uh, Anthony Poindexter is a former Virginia football great, and he is, I believe, the most likely guy to get the Virginia job, perhaps at the expense expense that you said of uh, Tony Elliott of Clemson. So, there we've already seen dominoes fall at places like Virginia Tech. David Cutcliffe came to a mutual agreement to step aside at Duke, uh, and the Blue Devils are interested in Tony Elliott, but they're interested in several others as well. So, especially the Miami situation is is pure chaos, and we're going to head into an ACC next year where if you go to the football media day, you know you're going to need the proverbial program just to figure out who's who.
6: And we didn't mention Bronco Mendenhall. deciding about a personal decision. And
5: and I I don't know if your fan base Mm -hmm. has digested this, but Bronco is a man in his mid-50s, which I can identify with, who has millions and millions of dollars in the bank, who has been in what he describes as a 30-plus-year grind, Mm -hmm. and as a man of incredibly deep faith. He says he reevaluates his plan and his purpose and some people may roll their eyes at that. I'm telling you, Bronco Mendenhall is shooting you straight when he shares that personal detail. He actually has an annual goal where he reevaluates his place in the universe and his the nature of his relationship with his wife and as a dad and as a coach and a mentor of young men. He seriously does that every year. And, and you guys know the deal. You've been in the grind or a version of the grind. After 30-plus years, yeah. It can be time for something else, and he specifically did not say he was retiring, but I am 100% sure this was Bronco Mendenhall's decision, and a lot of people roll their eyes at that, oh, it must have been pressure from the president or the athletic director, absolutely not, they both specifically asked him to stay, but he steps away After a decent season, I mean, they were broken on defense, but they had a better year. Remember, at the very beginning, people wanted to fire Bronco Mendenhall, and then they looked like they might win the Coastal and play for the ACC title. Uh, So he's a heck of a football coach, a fascinating person. And and who coach again, but he's following his heart and his soul. And uh, I say more power to him. Life is too short.
1: You know, Dave, that kind of reminds me a little bit of Bob Stoops when he was at, at Oklahoma from the standpoint that he's mid, mid-50s mid or so. His dad was a high school football coach who died of a heart attack yes. on the sidelines. And, you know, at some point, I mean, again, he kind of was in that trans- transition situation before the hiring of uh, Brent Venable. But, you know, it kind of reminds me of that a little bit. I want to go back to Miami, and uh, and I know because of the signing date coming up in But normally you'd want to have an athletic director on board that would be involved in the process of hiring the coach. So that's kind of a reverse situation
5: there, isn't it? It's a mess because Blake James is gone. So he is not a voice in the room, the former athletic director. So who's pulling the strings? How much power do the boosters have? Is this really a university president driven thing, which usually in the absence of an athletic director uh, a university president, of course, has to play a central role, but there are other figures in, in that dynamic within the university and within the athletic department, and even outside the university per se. So, I don't. I would love to be the man behind the curtain, so to speak, and know as Miami is negotiating with Dan Radikovich of Clemson, is Dan Radikovich also advising them on the nature of the next football hire? Now, I, I can't see being against. Mario Cristobal, who's a University of Miami guy and has had good success at Oregon. Um, but as a university that's not wealthy compared to many others, throwing $8 million a year, which is not the very top tier nowadays, as crazy as that might sound, but it's way up there, $8 million a year to try to get Cristobal. Those are decisions that you would think you would want your next athletic director to be in the central part of the conversation for. But we're not sure the nature of that right now because it's all kind of in flux as we're having this conversation.
6: Yeah, you know, maybe this whole way of looking at things doesn't apply anymore. But I can't help but wonder if I'm Mario Cristobal, and and as you mentioned, he's a Miami guy, so the tie there is obvious. But I can't help but wonder if there's at least something in the back of his mind that says if they'll do this to Manny Diaz. would they do it to me as well? I mean, Manny Diaz right now is still the football coach at the University of Miami, and and this has become a highly publicized courtship for Mario Cristobal. And I know we're talking about millions and millions of dollars and all that other stuff. But in the back of his mind, doesn't that have to be there somewhere?
5: Yes. I'll put an asterisk on that, yes. And, Dan, you've been around long enough that you've seen much of what I have seen. I am 100% certain because I knew the coaches personally that there are situations where a coach turned down either an inquiry or sometimes even a job offer from school X, either because they did not like the way the previous coach was treated by the athletic director, or they didn't like how the previous coach or coaches plural were treated by the, in other words, coaches do have memories for these things. And sometimes they don't want to step into that chaos. The reason I say asterisk with your Miami example is that Mario Cristobal, all he needs to find is a couple people he trusts. In other words, because the chaos of the moment is not really attachable to Dan Radikovich, it's not his fault uh, to whatever degree you want to say, you can say it's attachable to the university president. If Mario Cristobal trusts Dan Radikovich, well then he, he can overcome this hurdle that you're describing. But coaches do ask themselves these questions and either they bail or sometimes the money is so big. They just say, you know what, if I get poorly treated after three, four or five years, I'm going to have so much money in the bank. I'll never have to work again. And that was not a dynamic financially 20 years ago, 40 years ago, or a hundred years ago. So Dave, you look at, uh, and you just mentioned the $8 million there.
1: It all seemed to start, what about a month ago when Michigan State gave Mel Tucker $95 million wow. for 10 years? And he'd been, what, uh, five and seven at Colorado in a couple of years at, at, at Michigan State. And if depending on what stories you want to read, a couple of boosters, a uh, step forward in that regard. That just changed the whole situation as far as head coaches are concerned. And then with Lincoln Riley mo- moving on and what he's going to get and Ryan Kelly, it's just, just kind of gone uh, uh, that way anyway in the last uh, month or so.
5: Yeah, and I would say it's just an acceleration of a trend that began last decade, or depending on how far back you want to go, I'll put it this way, during our time covering college sports, and I would have to look it up to find the exact date, so I'm just going off the top of my head, we experienced the first $1 million a year head head college coach. And I believe it was in the latter part of the 80s. So think about that. The first 1 million coach. Remember that it was roughly eight years ago, or a little bit less, where Jimbo Fisher was lured away from Florida State as the na- the guy who led the Seminoles to the national title in 2013. I'm trying to remember the exact year A&M lured him away. A couple years after the Seminoles national title it was. And they gave him what was at the time and might still be the largest amount of guaranteed money in the history of college athletics it was i believe 85 to 90 million dollars all of it guaranteed so you know whatever it was 8 or 9 million a year for 10 years that's an important clause all of it guaranteed that doesn't come with every coaching contract so there's that's a 6 year old development i think tom But what we're seeing now is even more of those examples. And one other thing that we're seeing, which I think is an old trend just returning, these coaches want to know, of course, A, how much are you going to pay me, of course, but B, can I win there? And I think Lincoln Riley left Oklahoma in part because it's going to be harder for the Sooners to win as members of the SEC moving forward, whereas he views Southern Cows having a great chance to just dominate the Pac-12 there's not as many teams to be afraid of in the Pac-12 as in the SEC. So what do you pay me? Can I win there is a big, big question all coaches ask, budget-wise, tradition-wise, game day environment, recruiting assist, recruiting or assistant coaching budgets, et cetera. It's, hard, it's harder to win at a place that hasn't been winning, obviously. And then sometimes it's where do I want to live and things of that sort. Who's my boss going to be? Those are the other questions that these coaches ask. But it starts with money and the money being thrown around in modern college athletics, of course, is a reflection of the biggest TV money in the history of college athletics. And it just makes it look a lot more like semi-professional athletics than it does the good old fashioned amateur stuff that uh, it actually was back when we were born.
6: Dave Glenn, our ACC expert joining us here And, and speaking of television money the Atlantic Coast Conference, the ACC Network, and Comcast. Yes. Finally got their deal done, Dave. So Told you. What, what, <laughs> yes, yes, you did. What does that mean financially for the conference and for the individual teams in the conference? Okay.
5: I'll try to keep it really simple math because it's a little bit complicated.
6: Good, good because remember, I was the guy who was, <laughs> who was good at math until they put the alphabet in it. Okay,
5: so the simpler, (laughs) the better. That's a great line, Dan. I'm going to steal that from you. Maybe I'll give you attribution. Uh, So look at it this way. If you are a cable subscriber or many other forms of pay TV, whether you watch a channel or not, you do pay a certain amount per month. For the SEC network, that number is close to a dollar per month. Okay, the ACC network does not have as many viewers as the sec network and of course they can track these things so nobody expects if the if the sec network has been getting 80 to 90 percent per 80 to 90 cents per month per subscriber that doesn't sound like a lot but wait until you hear the math unfold okay let's just pretend that the acc network is going to get 81 cents per month I don't know that number. They don't release that number. They protect it the way our country would protect the Pentagon. Like they really are sensitive about what they call their proprietary data. Right. But let's just pretend the ACC Network's deal with Comcast is for 81 cents per month, 82 cents per month. That does come out to $10 per year. Okay, $10 per year per subscriber. Comcast has almost 20 million subscribers. When you strike a deal with Comcast and the ACC network is on all 20 million of those. Comcast, remember, has a, a web only subscription people. No, I'm talking about pay TV people, 20 million, almost 20 million times $10 a year is $200 million a year. 200 million dollars a year. Now, Dan, I'll keep the math simple for you again. The ACC network is a shared venture between Disney, meaning ESPN, and the Atlantic Coast Conference. Now, it might not be exactly 50 50 from the raw revenue, but one half of 200 million a year is 100 million a year. We could all do that math. Mm -hmm. This is 100 million a year in new revenue for the Atlantic Coast Conference. As much time as we spend talking about the big gap between the SEC and the big 10, which are by far the wealthiest conferences, the ACC is kind of hovering closer to the Pac-12 and the big 12, way below the big two. This is a new revenue stream of $100 million, where unlike in most business contexts, you don't have mega millions in new expenses taking a bite out of that new $100 million a year in revenue, right? You already have a channel. You already distribute that channel. You're already paying the broadcasters. You don't have new expenses. So it's true, truly the 100 million a year windfall, which if you break it down in a 15 school conference, that math is (laughs) slightly harder, but that's 7 million a year or so in new revenue for every single school after it passes through the Atlantic coast conference. I hope I got that. Made that math simple enough, but which of if you ran a program, let's say a hundred million dollar a year athletics budget, which some of Mm -hmm. the ACC schools are over, some are just under that, and you found seven million in new revenue, and it's it's going to be in place for as long as this deal is with Comcast to carry the ACC network, that's a nice day at the office. You, You say to your personal assistant, "How about a cup of coffee?" Oh, did you hear that we we have a new A new faucet producing $7 a year for as far as the eye can see. That's a good day. That's a really good day. And it's already been spent probably, right, David? (laughs) Well, the funniest thing, we talk about this in my sports media class at uh, UNC Wilmington. There are a lot of differences between truly pro sports and truly college sports, right? But one of them is college sports are part of a nonprofit enterprise. So in pro sports – as in any capitalist endeavor, your, your bottom line goal or one of the biggest bottom line goals is to maximize your profit, mm-hmm. right? If you yes. can reduce expenses while keeping the same revenue, of course, you're going to do that because you're a capitalist. If you can increase revenue without crushing your expenses, of course, you're going to do that because you're a capitalist. In a nonprofit organization, you need to basically yeah. spend what you make. All of it. <laughs> and so something's going to go up And that could be recruiting budgets. It could be refurbishing your stadium. It could be paying your head coach more, paying your assistant coaches more. Theoretically, it trickles down to the non-revenue sports, and it does to a degree. Um, You know, more compliance directors, more associate athletic directors, more support staff. Uh, It all comes into play. And, yes, as some of these athletic departments guys are at the point I remember when ACC schools had annual athletic budgets in the thirty to forty million dollar range. Now they're almost all near a hundred million a year. Several are over it, and there are schools in the nation that I believe now have two hundred million dollar a year athletic budgets. Uh, so, this so well, why Not Grandpa's college sports anymore. No. Why,
1: why do you think that they? And we saw with the pandemic, everybody got caught short. Well, I mean, I'm always amazed that they didn't have more in reserve. I mean, I, I get where you're coming from. If you have a budget, you better spend it because, you, you, it, oh, you can do without. So I guess in that regard, I was a little bit surprised when the pandemic hit to see how many were so close to the to just being level.
5: Yes. Yeah, that, that was a step backward financially for everybody. And many leagues tapped into reserves and many leagues restructured contracts with their TV partners. Uh, There was a lot of mutual back scratching going on. It's just to help everybody through what was a crisis for a lot of schools, a lot of athletic departments. Um, You know, as you know, a lot of, a lot of schools put a a pay pay decrease across the board in the athletic department Uh, even head coaches in some cases took less money. Um, So they have persevered through this. Obviously we're not on the other side of the pandemic quite yet, but the worst hopefully is behind us. So whether it's pro sports or college sports, I don't see any reason to think that these numbers are not gonna continue to rise on the revenue side. And it really goes back to the popularity of, especially in college case, uh, college football first by a lot, men's basketball second, and then to varying degrees, women's basketball, baseball, and some other sports. As long as people keep consuming it in large numbers, by renewing season tickets, but more importantly uh, nowadays by just putting their eyeballs on, whether it's the TV screen, their tablet, uh, or now you can stream things. As long as as people are consuming in ways that people are being charged for it or they can get advertising money for it, the arrow kind of keeps going in the upward direction. And, And I believe that only when a smaller number of people are mesmerized with live sports programming, To me, that is the only domino that would jeopardize what the NBA or NFL or Major League Baseball looks like 10 or 20 or 30 years from now. It's that demand side. Uh, Only when the demand goes down would these economic models be shaken. And there is some science, some social science, behind how young people consume sports that Mm -hmm. is alarming when you look 10 and 20 and 30 years down the road. That might be a conversation for another day, but in my time covering sports, we're not going to see any kind of crash. I can promise you that. The NFL, for example, has already signed its next deal well into the next decade with a massive increase in TV rights fees. And I shouldn't even say TV anymore, media rights fees, because some of these games are going to be streaming only now, but as long as there's a lot of bidders, Fox, ABC, right? ESPN, NBC, ABC, and now you have Amazon buying sports programming. And and who knows when some of the others are gonna dive in. Um this this model is secure and this money's gonna keep growing college and pro at least into the next decade and we'll see how far beyond that.
6: All right, Dave, good stuff. Tell people how they can follow more of what you do.
5: Well, the best place is either online at davidglenshow.com. You can learn a little bit about me and my background. You can even contact me directly. There's an email form uh, that does come directly to me. Uh, and also on Twitter, at davidglennshow, two ends in Glenn, at davidglennshow on Twitter.
6: By the way, before we wrap it up, it was good to uh, finally get to meet in person, although I'd talked to him several times, but get yep. to meet in person, your former producer, uh, Darren Vaught, uh, up at uh, the Furman High Point basketball game last week.
5: I'm really glad you guys crossed paths because I can say after 30 some years in this industry, in in the category of sports radio hosts for whom I have been a guest frequently, you are among my all-time favorites. And in the category of people who have actually worked for me or with me, Darren Vaught, who's only about 30 or so years old, right? I, I try not to say he's one of the most impressive young people that I've ever met because he's flat out one of the most impressive people that I have ever met of any age or experience level. So it was really cool to hear the two of my all-time favorites cross paths, at least briefly.
6: Good stuff. Hey, Dave, thank you so much.
5: All right, Tom, Dan, great to be with you. See you, you,
6: Dave. Thank Thank you. you. All right, that's Dave Glenn. We'll be back to put a wrap on it in just a moment.
4: The power of choice is a game changer in any walk of life, and insurance coverage is no different. Dana McMahon and Goosehead Insurance give you that power. With over 80 insurance carriers to shop, Dana finds the best coverage at the best price. How successful is he? Goosehead's client loyalty score is more than double that of traditional agencies, and the local agency in Taylor's has a 97.8% customer satisfaction rating. Goosehead specializes in home and auto insurance, but offers all lines of personal coverage. And Goosehead's cutting-edge technology speeds up the quote process. Find out how much you can save on insurance today. Call Dana McMahon at Goosehead Insurance, 864-626-6745. That's 864-626-6745. Or visit www.goosehead.com. That's Dana McMahon and Goosehead Insurance.
6: Dan Scott here for the Atlanta Bread Company. What do I like about Atlanta Bread? Well, too much to mention in a short commercial, but here are a few things. Bread baked daily fresh on site, a tremendous selection of soup, sandwiches, and salads, seasonal special additions to the menu, delicious hot coffee, and a bevy of other drink options, and yeah, can't forget about the baked sweet goodies. Dine in or carry out, and when you have the Atlanta Bread Company app, you can order and pay online, then breeze past the lines to the pickup counter to get your food. Experience it for yourself. That's the Atlanta Bread Company, Cherrydale Point in Greenville.
2: Let me tell you something, Cowboy. This rookie can really bring the heat. He's smoky and spicy with a Chipotle style all his own. It's a new Montgomery and Chipotle barbecue sauce. Make it a part of
0: your home team. Available now at your neighborhood grocer or online at cincyfavorites.com.
6: All right, we are back to put a wrap on this uh, episode seven of the Dan Scott Show podcast. Hope you enjoyed uh, what we had for you today. Again, I had made the uh, intentional uh, decision to keep the podcast and the radio show separate, trying to do a couple of different things. But in this instance, with uh, the amount of information that we've had to deal with, and, and and just the topics themselves. I thought that today we might go back to kind of doing a hybrid for a, a one-off anyway, but I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Charlie Cobb from uh, the College Football Playoff Selection Committee and, of course, the AD at Georgia State University, and Dave Glenn, who takes us through the Atlantic Coast Conference and helps us navigate all of the madness that's out there. Uh, just a quick word about one of our sponsors the uh, Hall of Fame Sports Grill at 531 Wade Hampton Boulevard in Greenville. Just a note, uh, Alice says they'll be closed on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Prior to that, they're going to have an ugly Christmas sweater party with music by Velvet Willow and an opening act of Jeremy Scruggs. And on New Year's Eve, they're going to have a karaoke party. So uh, if you want to find out more information, you can do that. At Hall of Fame Sports Grill, uh, you can find them online. And again, 531 Wade Hampton Boulevard here in the uh, Greenville South Carolina area. Listen, uh, as uh, you know, one of the things that I'm trying to do with this podcast is, is make sure to use it as a platform to to share my faith and, and what Jesus Christ has done in my life. To that end, uh, we're recording this and dropping it on a Monday. Uh, I am speaking on Wednesday evening, which is December the 8th at uh, a group called the Miracle Hill Overcomers, uh, and it's a drug and alcohol rehab group. Uh, I would appreciate your prayers for that. This will be my first time speaking uh, in a, um, a group setting like this, so uh, trying very hard to craft the message God wants me to use uh, in a way that will uh, effectively share the love of Jesus Christ with these men who are really, really struggling and trying to overcome some personal demons now. So please keep me in your prayers for that. And we'll look forward to seeing you again next time here on the Dan Scott Show podcast. This has been Episode 7. And for Tom Van Hoy and our guests Charlie Cobb and David Glenn, I am Dan Scott, as always, saying God bless you and so long, everybody.